Welcome back to Draft Utopia on Anchor. A lot of news going on, and we'll break down the Browns-Jaguars game on Saturday. We'll also break down um, the Jaguars season preview. We already broke down the Browns preview on TalkShoe, um, but there are two season-ending injuries already, one involving Jakeem Grant, the other involving Makai Becton, and those are both well, the, the Grant injury is not that big of a loss considering David Bell returned to practice on Sunday, but the Makai Becton injury is actually pretty serious because now the Jets are going to have bad pass protection for the second year in a row. I, I will agree and disagree at the same time. It is a huge blow for the Becton injury. So with the team Grant, the thought process was... He was going to be the Browns' best return man since Josh Tripp. Josh Tripp is arguably a fringe Hall of Fame era returner. I mean, as a return man, he will never make it on the first ballot or maybe even second ballot. As a pure return man, he's like Devin Hester. I mean, huge. And Grant was seen in the same light. Uh, six in his career, he's had six return touchdowns. And he was supposed to be the Browns' answer to the poor return play that was the last year. Now the rest of the return game is going to have to step up because they're not going to have that X factor. Yes, they're going to have good returners, but it's not going to be the electric returner that can make up for issues that the rest of the return he makes which is what they expect Grant to do. So I will agree that the second deal is probably a bigger deal, most likely a bigger deal, but I won't say that the Grant deal is a bad deal or doesn't need it much because to the Browns, it probably didn't as much, but you're also looking at two teams that are completely different. The, the argument is like between a team fighting for a playoff spot versus a team that's on its way up. So it, it's a little bit of a different argument in that sense. So I won't get too defensive about it, but I will say, you know, it, it, you don't want to downplay the return. I am somebody who's big on special team play. I've been for years. So when I see a great return go down, I'm like, dude, one return touchdown could mean the difference between a playoff game or a playoff spot where you don't have to go in to a wild card game versus not having that. So, I mean, you don't want to downplay the significance of a dynamic return. I mean, so, but I can agree with you on that it's not as significant as a franchise left tackle. But I'll also say, let's not downplay the significance of a massive return man. They're both losses. They're both big losses in their own way. I'm just saying from a positional value standpoint, losing an offensive tackle like Becton is far greater loss than losing your return specialist. They're both big losses in their own right. Yeah, and, and I can agree with that. 
you know, I, I just don't want people to think that you're saying, you know, it's like, well, Hakeem Grant, who's an approval returner, and that's, that means nothing. You know, it's like... I mean, the know, Browns can play Anthony Schwartz, but he's not going to provide that spark that Jakeem Grant would as a return specialist. That's all. That's all we're saying. Yeah, and, and I can I can agree with that. It's like, you know, there, there are, you know, it's two different positions, two different, you know, positions that are absolutely needed. But at the same time, you know, you have to look at them differently when talking about the rent act. And there are other alternatives and other options, because I think the top three receivers, Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and David Bell, are locked in as long as those three guys are healthy. They're all starting. Now, you could try either Michael Woods or Anthony Schwartz at kick returner, and if that doesn't work, you're going to have to go out, either get a special teams guy through either a trade or play one of your defensive backups as a kick returner. Well... They already have their number four running back, slot receiver, who's, you know, uh, from last year, that is, that is their return stuff from last year, and he, they're, gonna, they're just going to slide him back into that spot. Are you talking about Demetrius Felton? Was he the return specialist last year? Felton, yes. Uh, they're just going to slide him back in and hope that the rest of the unit has improved. Yeah. So it, it's not like they don't have options on the roster. Now, if Felton gets injured, well, that just brings an entirely new dynamic to this conversation. Because now they have nothing. You know, it's like, yeah, you got to put your number two receiver, Donald, people good back there and say, hey, return these kicks, even though we've already gotten two of our guys injured. They're like, mm, you may not want to do that one. I'm guessing Schwartz would be the third guy you'd bring up as a return specialist, but you'd only bring him up if Felton got injured, too. Yeah, I, I, I could see that, yeah. And switching gears on the Jets, it's like, what the hell did the Jets do? I mean, they weren't exactly high on Jets with golfing. I mean, they had George Fant and Mackay Becton as their starters, but they didn't really add any depth to the position in free agency or the draft. And I'm, I'm just curious what their depth chart looks like in the wake of this injury. Um, I have been doing research for my first MLS mock draft this today, so just I'm just trying to find the Jets' depth chart. I won't talk about that uh, oh, soccer, but yeah. Friday pulling up with the Browns and Jags depth chart, so I know it's happening. Okay, so right now, there are three guys competing for that right tackle job with Mackay Becton out. The guy winning the job right now, the guy winning the right tackle job is Connor McDermott, the UCLA offensive tackle, but the other two guys competing with him for that job are Chuma Idoga, a 2019 third-round pick, and Max Mitchell, a 2022 fourth-round pick out of Louisiana. Those three guys are competing to be the replacement to Makai Becton. Okay, McDermott has some potentials, but some, you know, is we're looking at Becton. It's like he was supposed to be their potential big-time left tackle, 
he's been playing right, but at the same time, it's like, Losing and that's the thing. George Fan is in a contract year, and the Jets haven't extended him yet because they're probably thinking, oh, this would be the year Beckton takes that next step, and it just hasn't happened. Three years in a row, three consecutive injuries. He basically fractured the knee. He, he um, Whatever he had, arthroscopic knee surgery, he fractured the knee he had the surgery on. So that's why he's out the entire year. Yeah, and that is devastating because that's basically saying this knee may not hold up so but so this is a huge opportunity for Connor McDermott and we had some very good opinions on him in the past based on you know what he has done and brought to the table and so on and so forth but this is probably the greatest opportunity he'll have to become a starter and show what he can do so this is a huge opportunity for him so, in that regard, I mean, if you're going to look at the positive, now, these guys aren't competing for the backup job. These guys are competing for start jobs. And so, they're going to be competing to be the best that they could possibly be because they know they may not get no shot like this. Yeah, and McDermott, Max Mitchell, and Shuling Doga. These guys, these three tackles were supposed to be competing for the two second string spots. Now they're competing for a starting right tackle spot, and whoever loses the, that competition, those two guys that lose that offensive tackle competition will be backups to George Fant and the person that wins the starting right tackle job. So the Jets still have some depth. But I think we can agree this is the one player they could not afford to lose on the offensive line to injuries. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the Jets had another. I think I had the Jets at 6-11 or 5-12 and 12 this year. It wouldn't surprise me if they went from they had a 2-4 to four win season again and then they broke out next season with this injury. But at the same time, I think the depth and I think the competition for the right tackle job may be just what this team needs right now. But hopefully things find a way to work themselves out for the Jets. Otherwise, it's going to be a long season for Zach Wilson. And people are going to begin to question if he's the guy, if they haven't already after his rookie season. Yeah, because as a Browns fan, I saw this with Tim Couch, front and center. Tim Couch was an incredibly talented quarterback. Uh, he did things that we... He did everything coming out of Kentucky we had hoped that he would do. He was the franchise, but the offensive line didn't hold up. got hurt. He was sacked 50 times a year. Uh, It was absolutely atrocious, and he ended up ending his career as a backup, I think, in Green Bay. Uh, He had a good career overall, but he could have been such a great quarterback, but the, the... supporting cast was just absolutely correct. And especially on the offensive line. And I don't want to see that happen to Zach Wilson because you know The Jets already experienced this firsthand with Sam Darnold too. That's the other thing. Yeah. yeah so they should have some type of experience. Sam Darnold has never recovered from that. Um He's about, I mean, he's getting shown up by Baker Mayfield. And, and Matt Corral. There are rumors that Corral might beat out Darnold for the second string job because Corral is just, 
whatever, even though Cornell's gotten very limited opportunities, he went the entire first week of training camp without throwing an incompletion. And the fact that the Panthers are putting Sam Darnold in the trade block tells me that Corral might beat him out for the backup gig if they're that desperate to yeah. move him. Yeah, and, you know, Baker's been playing so well over the last week, two weeks. It's like, you know, how much damage was done to Sam Darnold's psyche with the Jets that he can not only not... It's okay. It's understandable he can't beat out Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield has a his reputation with the media is one thing, but on reality, he's a really good quarterback. But to not be able to beat out Matt Corral, which was a what was a third, fourth round pick, third round pick in this year's draft. Yeah. So that tells me that holy crap! How much damage did not have an offensive line? How much damage did? everything that he went through in New York, how much did that do to his psyche? Because I, we talked about his psyche on the podcast before, but this is an entirely new level. You know, we, we don't want that to happen because Ken Couch's psyche was never, uh, it was never damaged. His physical body was quite frankly destroyed, but the damage to his psyche never happened. With Darnold, his physical body was never there. But man, that psyche, that psychological thought process, how bad is that? Because what I don't want to see that happen again. So, how are the Jets going to remedy this to make sure it doesn't happen a second time? That's my question. I think they have to draft the left tackle in the first round of the draft, and that's the 2023 draft. And that's really the big reason why I said the Jets wouldn't make the playoffs this year is because until they got that... Because I, was, I wasn't sold on Makai Becton when I was hurt. He was overweight. I heard he might be moving to right tackle at that point heading into year three. I was like, you know what? The Jets are going to have to move on from Fant or Becton at some point. And, you know... It just hasn't worked out with Becton. He's been injured all three seasons in the NFL. So I, now I'm like, okay, now the Jets have to get this offensive line for Zach Wilson fixed. And they did an admirable job in the draft. They did a very admirable job. They got four players in their top 20 on their big board. The three first-rounders and Brees Hall were all in the Jets' top 20. And the Jets offered a 2023 first-round pick in exchange for Brees Hall. Nobody took it. Nobody took that draft pick. Joe Douglas was willing to give up a 2023 first-round pick to move it back into the first and get Brees Hall. Nobody took him up on that offer, which kind of looks stupid now in hindsight because that's a trade that I think a lot of teams would have won had they taken the Jets up on that trade offer. Yeah, it's... It's really weird in that uh, sense. My thought is, because we both had questions about Beckham, we both thought he was overdrafted, but at the same time, we acknowledge this dude was a freaking nature. So we can at least understand why they were taking But... I don't care if you're a freaking nature or not when it comes to your athletic ability, your strength, or whatever. If you can't stay on the field, you're useless. And that, I mean, that might be harsh to say, 
but the best ability in, in life is your fatal pulse. Well, yeah, to be fair, Becton was my OT4. I had Thomas and Worfs as my top two. I think Jedrick Wills may have been my OT3. So, Becton, I thought Becton had the highest bust rate of the four heading into the 2020 NFL draft. And uh, there were people like Jeremiah that said he had the highest ceiling, but I also felt like he had the lowest floor and the highest chance of busting. And I think people overlooked that because of the combine, because of what Daniel Jeremiah said, because of what they saw on tape. People overlooked that drafting Mekhi Beckton in the first round would come with risk. Yeah, it's like, I, I would never say drafting him in the first round was a bad thing. Maybe drafting him as hard as they did, maybe. I mean, but drafting him in the first round, no. Um, it's just, it's really unfortunate that, yeah, one thing we never thought, we had all these questions, one thing we never thought was that the injuries, you know, they never came up, especially broke bones and fractures, you know, that was something we didn't expect. Not really. I don't really have many thoughts on the uh, injuries for that part. Um, I think I think if somebody had taken Carla Fitz before Kansas City got the chance to pick him at 31, I think in that scenario, Carla Fitz probably... I, I, I do, because if Carla Fitz had been taken at 31, I think the Chiefs would have traded with the Jets for that 2023 first-round pick. And then the Jets, the Chiefs would have a top 10 pick in this year's draft. I think that's probably, because Carl Fitz made it to Kansas City's pick at 30, 30, not 31, 30. And I think if he hadn't been there, I think they would have made the trade with the Jets at 30 for Brees Hall, 30 for a 2023 first round pick. And the Chiefs would have looked like geniuses and the Jets would have looked like idiots. Because I don't think the Bengals were going to trade 31 with the Daxton Hill pick. And the Lions moved 32 to, I think they moved 32 to Minnesota, who used that pick on Lewis' side. So I think those teams would have stayed the course. But I think the Chiefs, they already had McDuffie. All the receivers with round one grades were gone, and they already got McDuffie. So I think if someone else had taken Carla Fitz before Kansas City, I think Kansas City's only play at that point would have been to try to move 30 and see if they could get a 2023 first. And I think the Jets would have taken them up on that offer and would have gotten a fourth first-round pick for Brees Hall at that point. And the Chiefs would have looked really smart for making that trade. But what it is what it is. Um, what other topics do you want to preview before we get into the Jaguars-Browns game on Friday? Because one person tweeted that Deshaun Watson might play the entire first half. Yeah, and that's something that I agree with, especially after this. I just, right after, I hadn't even finished the uh, Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show, and I saw that they do a section where there's tweets and, you know, on the internet and everything. And one of the things that came up was 
There is speculation from people first to investigate that this might be the next to call a huge fine. Now, that's huge. Uh, because the NFL still wants a seven game suspension. But the bottom line is, this is being heard by somebody and the speculation is in the 12 game that helped write it. And not only that, but he is a former attorney general of the judge. No matter what you say, those people and the judges, they're colleagues. Attorney general and judges are colleagues. Because I've said it a thousand times there. They're not there to completely overturn anything Judge Robinson does. Because they they don't wanna they don't wanna end up on the bad side of losing the respect of their community because they are of the same community. And they don't do that. It, it's just not done. Uh, but at the same time he can say, I helped write the CBA. I know a little bit more about it than she does. Okay? This does constitute a little bit more. So we're going to give them a little bit more. But her findings and her thought process is not unfounded. So we're not going to give the NFL what they want. At the same time, I do believe that it is within the bounds of the CBA and of the law to increase. But one of the things more, if you do this wrong, and I think this is one guy, since he wrote the uh, CBA, or was responsible for a lot of the CBA, he was saying, if I get this wrong, it is grounds for the NFLPA to say, you breached the like the bargaining agreement. I think play this correctly. This is gonna turn out bad. Yeah. Cause you could take this trial to federal court next year, but if the NFL wins, Deshaun Watson and the Browns stand to lose a lot more. Whereas if they just bite the bullet and take the punishment this year, Watson only loses a fraction of his contract. But I don't think Watson wants to bite the bullet or take the punishment considering that he was well, not convicted like I, of anything. Well, like I said, you know, if the NFL could really want to take it nuclear, they could go Delaware, say the NFL breached the collective bargaining and they would be well within their rights, and there is evidence based on the they're doing what's in this, but not saying anything or doing anything to protect who are named in the same lawsuit on the same people for the same situation. Say they breached the CBA. A breach of contract is basically the death knife. Okay, that is doing as nuclear as you can get. Okay, I think right now. You know, I forget the guy's name, I can never remember the guy's name, but he was former Attorney General, he appointed of uh, Roger Goodell. He's balancing. He's 
cannot afford, I cannot afford to alienate Judge Robinson. The NFL cannot afford for the NFL to be a newspaper. And if they say that there is a huge cost for it, oh my gosh, we are so screwed. Okay, so I think the reason it's taking so long is that he has a lot more about Judge Robinson. He's got a lot more to think about because he is playing a dynasty game. And to hear that it may probably be 10 12 games, I think. He's saying, 10 to 12 games might prevent an absolute nuclear meltdown here within the NFL and the NFLPA. And we want to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, it's like the NFL, I think they're more open to 10 or 12 games if they're willing to take on the 10 million, but I'm not sure if there's a settlement or what's going to happen yet. I feel like they're not going to report that until it's closer to the regular season, like September, August 20th to September 1st. That's kind of when I expect the announcement on Deshaun Watson, because it's August 10th. It's still pretty early in the preseason for a verdict or a ruling. Yeah, and that's why I say, you know, I think that depending, I think I first speculation it could come by the end of the season. Friday is the game. Watson will be able to play the entire preseason despite that. Uh, so, my thought is, hey, you know, he could see Watson playing the first half of the Jags game. And he has eight games. You might see him play the first half of the second game. So that's why I brought up you as he lets me look at, at this specifically, unless you're a podcast, because, you know, you can look at this and I prove you of this games and say, hey, this group impact this game spectacularly because if we know anything about the NFL, the NFL red smack the higher up you get in high school college pros, the speed of game wasn't have to play for a while if there's a chance he's back or if there's no going be back by the end of the year you want to get into real time reps and you must say, well, we don't want to do it because we need to get to the step. No, you want to do it, but if you don't do it, and once it comes that cold, you may be worse off than you were beforehand. Okay? And we know that the Jags, like we talked about it last week, the Jags have massive amounts of young talent. And so if they don't, uh, so if they get after it, if they improve their lives, we suppose they're taking a not for this This could be a nice test for Watson's first game back in a year and a half. So it could be a competitive game either way. So, and it could be a game where we see Watson for the first time in and we see again a bona fide top 10 quarterback. So, I mean, it's 
having the significance of the situation should not be lost on any NFL fans. Yeah. And Jacksonville's one of these teams where I'm looking at what Jacksonville can do defensively against the Browns. So defensively against the Browns, they can use your That's one thing that is not talked about enough is that they have uh, so much athleticism. Can the Jaguars hold the Browns to under 300 yards? I'm not focused on winning this game if I'm Doug Peterson, because it's a preseason game. But as a team, as a coach for Jacksonville, I'm focused on the defense being able to hold Cleveland to under 300 total yards of offense. And if Deshaun Watson plays the entire first half, I'm not sure the Jaguars can do that. Shit, Watson might, the Browns might get 400 yards of total offense if Watson plays the entire first half. That's kind of what I'm getting at here. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, I think that uh, the, if Watson plays the entire first half, it's going to be tough. But at the same time, if Watson plays the Jaguars, if they can, if their defense can hold an opposing offense to under 300 yards for a few games heading into the regular season, their team will feel really confident about the Commanders game in Week One because Chase Young's not supposed to be back until Week Five or Six. They're saying Week Five is the earliest he return, and he might be out the first five weeks before he makes his return on the season. So. No Chase Young means you can pick apart the league's worst pass defense and you're not going to be pressured as frequently. You'll still have to deal with the defensive tackles and Montez Sweat, but you're not going to be pressured as frequently without that difference maker in Chase Young breathing down your quarterback's throat. You saw Justin Herbert. Yeah, he won the game, but he had one touchdown, two or three interceptions before that clutch fourth quarter touchdown drive against the football team last year. Now they're the commanders, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. And it's, I mean, it 
one of those that I think would agree that it's going to be tough to for Watson to come back. You know, and I think him playing a lot of games is important. A lot of forces is important. Um, so. The Browns have four quarterbacks on their roster. Watson, Brissett, Josh Dobbs, and Josh Rosen. I think they should play each quarterback a quarter, but if they play Watson the entire first half, that means that Brissett and the other QBs are going to have limited reps. That's the drawback. But the, the plus side is that Brissett is a first drop. He's been a starter in the league. Uh, maybe not under the best circumstances where he was expecting to be a starter. Signing with the Browns, he expected to be a starter for a while, at the very least. So this is the first time he's had that comfort level. Uh, but at the same time, he's a first pro. Uh, he's going to be ready. He's going to be set. Give him a couple quarters, he'll be ready to go. Watson, on the other hand, hasn't played it in here. You don't think there's not going to be rust. I mean, you're fooling yourself. I mean, that's just the bottom line in that situation. But, you know, he has to, you have to recognize that, you know, he's going to have some rust on him. So playing him against a young athletic defense for two quarters is probably the best thing that can happen to him because he's going to have to give these best Are the Jets as, you know, fundamentally sound right now? No. Because they're all young, they're all learning new defense, they're all, you know, just eager to share what they got. But at the same time, that athleticism. Yeah, usually the starting quarterback only plays one series, but if Watson plays that entire first half, that means you're looking at Brissett probably only playing a series, and then Dobbs and Rosen get a majority of the snaps in the second half. That's probably what you're looking at. Well, I I would agree, except for you and I both saw that Jacksonville offense. They did a lot of four and out, so you're maybe looking at Brissett seeing two or three series. You know, in respect, you know, with that perspective. Um, and then Dobbs with the fourth quarter, you know, so... But you have Rosen as well. You have Dobbs and Rosen. So, if Rosen's you... Rosen's a camp arm. But let's face it, Rosen is a camp arm. They're not going to keep Rosen over Dobbs or anybody else. Rosen... Rosen had that horrendous game against the Patriots on Thursday Night Football when he came in in relief of Matt Ryan. And there's there's people like Ryan Romero saying, I'm hoping Josh Rosen has a comeback with the Browns. It's it's not going to happen. As cool as it would be to see it happen, it's not going to happen. Yeah, one of the reasons I was looking forward to this game is because it wasn't watching because I didn't think he was going to play on a series or two before you know today. But it was because I really didn't want to see Josh Dobbs. I wanted to see because he didn't get much of a chance with the Steelers, but he's an incredibly intelligent guy. And I was like, okay, you know, let, let's 
He's had a few years. Yeah, he had like a year of experience as like the QB's coach with the Steelers. I think he retired for a brief period, and he was like the QB's coach or the assistant QB's coach for a season under Roethlisberger's last year. And then he comes out of retirement, and all of a sudden he's on the Browns. So it is kind of interesting to see that unfold. Yeah, he's been a You know, he's a rocket scientist. He, he graduated, you know, for that. I mean, it's how many people in the NFL actually have that? So I'm like, okay, now you not only have star college uh, credentials, you have NFL backup credentials, you've been an assistant quarterback coach, so you're learning more there. You... You're a freaking rocket scientist, and now you're playing for the Browns? I mean, come on. I mean, outside of Josh Dobbs, how many players or people in the NFL have the credentials to get into NASA after their uh, football career is over? I would think Dobbs is in a league of his own there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's just astounding. And you can't help but root for a guy like that, and you can't help but see him want to see him succeed in the NFL at some point, you know, because, I mean, he's already accomplished so much in his young life that it's like... I think where the Steelers went wrong is they gave up on Dobbs and they were like, you know what, we're going to let Mason Rudolph be the backup, because the first two years of Mason Rudolph's career, he was the third stringer to Ben Roethlisberger and Josh Dobbs. And then that third year, they made him the backup. And that was the year I think Miles Garrett had the helmet thing, helmet incident. Well, the thing is, I just wish Miles Garrett would have used his fist instead of the helmet because I don't know if you see Miles Garrett's hands or not. He probably would have been more damaged with his fist and got a lesser suspension. Okay. Miles Garrett. There's a reason they say Miles Rudolph had the most punchable face in football. Well, let's face it, he does have the most punchable face. He's a very punchable guy. Josh Dobbs, you look at him and you're like, no, I ain't gonna punch this guy. Like, this guy will show a nuclear warhead up my ass. It's like, you're, you're not gonna punch Josh Dobbs. Mason Rudolph is like, this dude's got the intelligence of a snail. Let's knock his ass out. And he looks fucking goofy to go on with. So, you know, but come on. Who's more punchable out of dogs and Rudolph? I don't think that was what the Steelers were looking at when they evaluated both backups as potential successors to Big Ben. They were looking at the long-term ceiling, and they thought Rudolph had a higher ceiling than Dobbs. Yeah, but if they were looking at, man, somebody's going to whack this guy with a fucking helmet. They probably would have chosen Dobbs over Rudolph. Probably. But I don't think they were anticipating that at the time. Probably not, but, you know, character concerns. It's like, is somebody going to try to kill my quarterback with blunt force trauma? I think I'll take the guy that they're not going to try to kill. All right. That makes sense. You know, that, that just seems to make sense to me. Yeah. But the the entire thought process is I want to see Dobbs and I want to see Dobbs succeed. If Dobbs, because if think hypothetically, 
Dobbs comes out against the Jacks. He has a good game. Granted, it's probably going to be against second or third string. He has a good game. Comes out second. He has a good game. He reads the defenses incredibly well. Doesn't have to have the best game with the young. Then third game. He's probably going to get the entire second half in the third game. Doesn't matter who else the quarterback is. Okay? And he comes in and lights it up. There's 200, 250 yards. Okay? Now, Brissett starts week one. Brissett gets answered by week three. Does Dobbs? Do you root for Dobbs to light it up? Well, he doubts it. But do you root for him to do it? And do you think he succeeds that? Um, I guess that's what we're looking to see in Jacksonville is if he has grown that much as a quarterback or enough as a quarterback that if Brissett gets injured... You don't have to make a trade, a desperation trade for Sam Darnold or Jimmy Garoppolo. Has Josh Dobbs grown enough to where he can step in? Because you don't want to be in that situation where you're not confident Dobbs has grown enough and you're forced to trade a draft pick to get a rental QB, whether it's a Sam Darnold or Garoppolo. Darnold's $18.7 million against the cap. Jimmy Garoppolo's $25.7 million against the cap. There's a reason teams don't want to take on those contracts. Yeah, and I, as I was telling a buddy, why has the Browns not pulled the trigger on a Garoppolo trade? You know, people are saying the Browns and the Garoppolo's only real shot at being traded is probably to the Browns due to the Browns situation. And then somebody came out with the report that it's looking like 10 to 12 games with heavy fine. Well, if that's the case and that ends up coming to fruition, there's your answer. Because they're not going to bench Garoppolo if he's playing out of his mind at $26 million a year, whatever it is. 25.7, but yeah. It's only a one-year deal, and then he's a UFA next season, and then he can sign with whoever. Yeah, so it's it's... It's a situation that I always say the NFL and the NFLPA go a hell of a lot more than we do. And and I think that we go a hell of a lot more than we do. And I think that the Browns, the reason they're not going after Broadway, because they already know what's coming. And if reports are to be believed, you have insiders saying we have no idea what's going to happen. These are multiple things, multiple people. They already either know what's coming or they're waiting to see what's coming before they make a move. It's yeah, one of those two. Look. Yeah, don't look at what you're told. Look at the actions that are being taken by the team. Because the teams, I guarantee you, the teams know what's going to happen. The NFL is not going to leave the teams in the dark. Because even if they have, even if as speculated, they want to punish the Browns for the contract, they're not going to punish the 49ers. Which means they're going to have to let the Browns know, hey, you know, 
this is what's probably going to happen. And somebody probably let it leak to a few people who all then let it leak to the media. And it's all coming from one source. Because the NFL may want to punish the Browns, but they don't want to punish the 49ers. And once the 49ers for the Browns started, you know, getting things like, whoa, 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 okay. We don't want you guys to make a decision that'll hurt the 49ers. The 49ers may give them up cheap to the Browns. But if the Browns know come back, then the 49ers could get more based on injury or whatever the hell happens in the preseason. But you don't want to punish the 49ers even though you want to punish the Browns, which I'm hearing is the reason for the uh, they want to punish the Browns for that contract. Uh, they feel the Browns uh, manipulated not only the fact, but the condition in which Boston would be punished by making the salary what it is for the first year. So I, I think there's, I think people know more, and you have to look at how and what's not happening rather than what is happening in this situation, which will directly impact the game on Friday night. At least that's my thing. Like, what do you think about that, Chris? Chris, do you have any thoughts on that? Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Ransom has left the building. Yeah, I'm here, Joey. I was just uh, getting uh, getting some. David Bell, I've seen a few clips of him dominating in training camp. What? David Bell, the Purdue receiver. I've seen a few clips of him dominating in Brown's training camp. Okay, do you have anything to say on what I said about uh, Watson in that situation and how that could affect what the Browns do on Friday? I don't have anything else to say about that. Okay, then what are you expecting to see Friday night. I think the Browns beat Jacksonville pretty badly. Watson will play at least a quarter. He might play the whole first half, and the Browns should embarrass the Jaguars. So outside of you, everybody in TIAIA Bank Field will be pretty miserable for the most part. I'm not expecting a competitive well, game. I'm going with my buddy. He's also from Cleveland, so it's you know, we're both going to be sitting on the Cleveland sidelines. For the first time in my life, I'm not going to be sitting on the Jags side. So, so you were on the Jaguars sideline last year. Now you're going to be on the Brown sideline at the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were talking Sunday, and he said, I'll meet you at gate three. And I'm like, I've never I've never entered on gate three. It's like, I've always entered on the Jags side. 
game three is the exact opposite side. Um, like, oh, I can walk the extra 500 feet. But at the same time, it, it, it's going to be different. Yeah. But I'm going to be able to see a different perspective as well. Because I've always seen the game from one side, but I'm going to be able to see it from the other perspective as well. So that's going to be interesting. And it's it's really going to, I think that the Jags, I think the Jags did beat, I think the Browns win. But at the same time, I think the Jags build on what they do in the Hall I think they show a little more composure. Because like we were talking, it's like, yeah, they showed a lot of athletic ability. They showed a lot of promise. They did some really good things, but they were reckless. I, I think they cut down a little bit on the recklessness. I don't expect them to, you know, transform overnight or anything. But I think they cut down on the recklessness a little bit. I have got a scenario for you, a quick scenario for you before we end the podcast. Let's say Deshaun Watson gets injured in the preseason game and he's out the entire year. In that scenario, does the NFL keep the Watson suspension in effect or do they delay it until next season so he loses more money? Well, I don't think, because here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. Watson's going to be out the first six games regardless because his team did not appeal. The NFLPA did not appeal. So he's going to be out the first six games regardless. Nothing changes there. The fine does not change. Uh, the only way the contract suspension will happen if he does not play this year. If he gets hurt and the suspension is the year, well, guess what? Tough shit. Guys, it, the contract rolls over. Uh, it's based on the suspension. But if this is been intended four games, then the contract is not a little In which case, he would lose that year on his contract. So, in that scenario, if you're pitching, it would be advantageous for the NFL to say, 10 games, 10 to 12 million dollars, five, go. And that'll be the end of it. Because it won't matter the extra five, six games because of the injury. But they can still get their pound of flesh and say, man, we were tough on them. We got something out of it. Because, you know, that's, you know, that is what they're going But if he's injured, you can say 10 games. Like, hey, guess what? Since you only got 10 games, you lose that year on your contract. They want their pound of flesh. He can lose that year on his contract. And guess what happens to that pound of flesh? They can't do a thing about it. So in your scenario, by only giving him 10 to 12 games, that would be perfect for the NFL because they can say, oh, oh guess what? You lose your contract and that'll be the thing because they want to punish the Browns as well for giving the contract. You lose a year, but then that should have been a great year for you. So, in that scenario, you're punishing Brown, 
and you're punishing Martin. And it's uh, and you can throw your hands up at it at the same time because hey, we can predict that he tore his MCL or something of you know something of that nature. Yeah, that would keep him out for 15, 15, 16 weeks. By the time it was time for him to come back, you know. Brown season too. Yeah. And that contract does not roll over anymore. So I think in that scenario, just based on what it is, I could see the I could see a 10-12 game suspension working out quite well for the NFL. And that is also something I think they should think about is because the nature of the quarterback position and a guy who hasn't played for a year and a half, he may get injured. There's a chance he gets injured. So, in the preseason. So, I think you have to look at that as well as something that is a possibility. Yeah. That's why I would only play Watts in a court or if I were the Browns. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough thing because if you don't play him enough in the preseason, he's going to come back rusty because he hasn't played it so. But if you play him too much, you risk, you know, and risk the injury. And, you know, if you play Watson, you almost have to play the first team offensive line and maybe not 100% intact, but. You have to play them at some level, right? 75% at least intact because Deshaun Watson, I mean, that's the guy you landed your franchise on. So it's it's really, um, and I know we can get into the intricacies of some of the other stuff I've listened to later, but as far as just that situation goes, Man, that's that's tough. That's a tough decision to make. Uh, so in Kevin Stefanski's you know, situation, you know, I, I'm really interested to see what he does because ultimately it's in his hands. Uh, so that does interest me to see how he plays it because I think they played the first, if it comes down 10, 12 games before Friday, I think Watson played the first half against the Jags. In which case, the Jags really have no chance, but I think they can prove. I actually think that the Jags will improve more playing Watson for a full half than they do they put Watson for, or Watson for a quarter. Because... Playing Watson for a full half is pretty much the equivalent of Carson Wentz for a full game. That prepares you for that scenario in week one, whereas playing Watson for a quarter really only prepares you for a half against Washington. Yeah, and let's face it, Watson, I know he gets some criticism. Oh, he only, you know, he has some garbage time stats and everything. But if you look at it, he was a top five quarterback in the NFL in 2019, and I would argue again in 2020. Uh, so 
I mean, you can't just say, you know, he's lost it. He's lost everything. You know, it's like, no, when you play him in the preseason, he may not be a top five quarterback, but clearly he can be top four quarterback. But if you play him for a half, you are literally looking at preparing yourself, and you say, because like we said, these guys on the Jag defense are really young. And when they hit somebody like Watson, even if he is only a top 12 quarterback skill-wise right now because of the bust, you're looking at playing someone who's going to prepare you for not only week one, but for every week you know, after that. So, and they're also going to prepare you for, you know, to play against, you know, the Ravens. They're going to prepare you to play against other big-time quarterbacks. You know, and you're going to get that in preseason week one. So, if he plays a full half, so if it comes down 10, 12 games, and he plays a full half against Jacksonville, that's gonna only that's only gonna help the Jacksonville defense. That's only gonna help those young guys. And that is something we cannot take for granted. No, you cannot. Any other thoughts before we close up shop for this podcast? We're at the fifty-seven minute mark on anchor and we've got about just under three minutes I've, left. I've got one more take. Jamar Chase. He said the Browns corners are only elite at talk. Okay. That's from the response. I expect the Cleveland Browns corners to come out on fire. And I expect them to come out ready to roll. Yeah, okay. once Denzel Ward's back, they'll have Ward, they'll have Newsom, they'll have Greedy Williams. They are the only team in the AFC North that I believe can stop these Bengals receivers by limiting them to under a hundred yards in all three in both head-to-head games. I don't think the Steelers have the personnel to do that, even though they have the best defensive individual player in T.J. Watt. And I don't think the Ravens have the personnel to do that, although I think they have a better chance of limiting the Bengals receivers than the Steelers do, mainly due to Marlon Humphrey, uh, Marcus Peters, and Kyle Fuller as their top three corners. I think that secondary has a better chance to limit the Bengals than the Steelers do. Newsom is the one who answered that tweet. Okay, Newsom is probably going to play. He's probably going to be the number one receiver, number one cornerback this week. Expect him to come out and say, I'm the man home. I'm not elite. I just shut down everybody here. And also expect him when the Bengals come up, say, I want Chase. Because last year he got Chase, he shut down Chase. So, for Chase to talk smack, expect Newsom to be ready. And expect this week for Newsom to for his, this is going to be his coming out for her. So... Yeah, but if Ward's healthy, he's probably going to get Chase. Right now, Ward is on the pup list, but if you've yeah. got Newsom and, um... Newsom and, uh, LSU Corner, I'm thinking of his name, uh... Crap. 29th. Greedy Williams. Greedy Williams. I forgot for a second, but I, I remember the college. Alright, so we've got just under 30 seconds. That's all. What do you want to 
All right. So, um, we've got just under 20 seconds left on this podcast. That was Joseph Potter. We did a great job previewing the Browns-Jaguars game, and we'll have the recap Saturday morning on TalkShoe, along with Kareem Hunt and Roquan Smith trade rumors, plus Big 12, AFC South, and NFC South. So long.